Well, uh, I'm glad for the opportunity to be with you today because my wife, Allison, and myself had talked about for a while now uh, wanting to visit. But when you're involved at your local church, it's always hard to find like a good time reason to leave. And so being called on Friday morning to preach seemed like a great reason to visit. So hi, everybody. Uh, I am excited because uh, I like the prophets. Um, and honestly, as long as you're not getting too weird, like when you have lots of strange visions and metaphors and analogies and everything else like that, we're really just reading a sermon. We're just learning a sermon and there's a little work to be done still, but I think this one, honestly, like I felt pretty excited about this. Normally a preacher's nightmare is to get a text on Friday and be told, can you do this? And I did not stress. I was like, yeah, that sounds fun. So either I'm a little weird and just really messed up or God has given me something. I'm going to go with God has given uh, me something for you today. Uh, so in this passage, it starts off with Zechariah having a dream, which isn't like super clear from the actual text. But when you're looking in this, and I lifted my eyes and saw, and behold, a man was with a measuring line in his hand. This is letting us know that this is not real life. Uh, and there is something going on here. And so we see that Zachariah sees this person measuring and he's doing something that makes a lot of sense. If you're rebuilding a culture, a city, a place to be, one of the first things you think about are how do you protect what's important? How do you know where the boundaries are? Boundaries are super important in our life. Uh, every house has walls, you have gates, you have fences. No one thinks this is weird. So seeing someone measuring and saying, I am trying to figure out where the boundaries of the city are going to be doesn't strike us as a really interesting dream. It kind of feels very mundane, except for the angel showing up. And then all of a sudden we have in verse four, one of the angels saying, run and say to that man, Jerusalem shall be inhabited as a village, as villages without walls because of the multitude of people and livestock in it. And right here, if we're paying attention, it took me a little while when I was trying to meditate on this to see where the Lord wanted this to go. This is weird because I don't know what you know about the ancient world, but it was a dangerous place, much like parts of the world are still today. You don't build big things without walls. And why is that? Because walls do a couple things for us, right? They protect us and they also help identify us, right? The walls protect us from the outsiders because you're not supposed to be in here. And that lets us know like where the boundaries are. Like this is, this, these are our people and those are those people. Like walls do two things. So if there's not going to be walls, what's happening here? Well, if you look in verse five, God is saying something here. And anytime God's saying something, you want to pay attention, right? Like, I know that sounds like such a obvious statement, but I feel so often for us, uh, people of God, when we hear 
the Lord says something. We're like, yeah, the Lord says something. Great. He talks a lot. I, you know, I, what else do you want me to know? But pay attention. He says, I will be to her a wall of fire all around, declares the Lord. And I will be the glory in her midst. Here is what's interesting. The Lord is promising protection, right? So verse five, you have that protection, the fire, which kind of evokes the Exodus story. So Zechariah is having a bit of a parallel, a hyperlink to the Exodus story where God protected and guided the Israelites with the pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And um, it's interesting, right? Thinking about God protecting us. Because, again, this is the ancient Near East. If you're thinking that, like, this is metaphorical or not, I, I'm thinking this is the Lord promising something. Trust me. Will you trust me? Because the reason why the people of Israel were exiled to begin with is why? Because they didn't trust that the Lord would protect them. They trusted in Egypt. They trusted in political alliances. They trusted in other gods. Like, well, let's tack on some gods. Let's tack on some things. Like they did things that made sense culturally and logically. Like us from our perspective, when we see these things and we, if you've grown up in the church, you're like, why did the Israelites do these things? Clearly, don't they know the Lord would do these things? And if you pause and think about that statement, should the Lord tarry a thousand years from now? What would Christians looking back on our time be like, why were they panicking about fill in the blank cultural issue of the time? I'm thinking particularly about a conversation that was had in my seminary. We had a Chinese house pastor. Uh, his English name was Samuel. I never learned his Chinese name. Probably wouldn't be able to pronounce it well anyway. But he was talking about how one time in one of my missions classes, he was talking about one time he was getting ready to leave his house and he really felt like the Lord told him to leave his phone. And he didn't know why, because he always takes his phone with him. And so he left. And during the course of his day, the police arrested him, questioned him, and were trying to get information from him. And he said if he had taken his phone that day, like he usually would, because he was a pastor of pastors in his little area, they would have had names of all his church leaders, all his house church pastors, without him saying a word. And he always takes his phone, but he really felt like the Lord told him to leave it. And he said, now I know why, because the Lord was protecting me, which sounds weird as a Westerner, because you're like, you were still arrested. You were still like persecuted. This sounds, doesn't sound like protection at all. But if that man could recognize the protection of the Lord, how often, even if we had a difficult circumstance or had to go through a trial of some sort, is God still willing to protect us in it? But we too often just don't want to be uncomfortable. And then with that as well, the Lord in verse five says, I will be the glory in her midst. The identifying the key centralizing factor is not how big are our walls, but is God here? Is the glory of God here? And what if we as a people of God were less concerned about whatever boundary marker issues we feel like are important? And I'm not saying that 
identifiers are not important. They very much are. It's the reason why we choose the clothes we wear, the neighborhoods we drive, the sports teams we like, the musical artists we like. There's nothing wrong with identifying markers. But if we're to be the people of God, what identifies us is God. God in his glory attracts us and attracts the people that are his. And so what if we spent more time focusing and reveling on the glory of who God is and noticing who comes with it? Like who shows up when God is glorified? Those might be our people. It's just a thought. I don't know. Maybe I'm a little nuts here, but I do know this. God has promised protection and God has promised identity. And he's done that for his people since the beginning and has continued to do it to now. And I want to be someone that just trusts that the Lord is going to do what he says he's going to do. The interesting thing after this is we go from the dream to the prophetic very quickly. So in verse six, we have the up, up, flee from the lands of the north, declares the Lord. And honestly, if you spend any time in this passage, almost all the commentators are like, this is a really difficult passage to translate in the Hebrew. So it's possible, depending on what version of the Bible you have or that you use in study, if you look at this, it might look a little different. That's because it could mean a couple different things. I do think this option is a very, very good one and is probably the best one. But just in case you have multiple versions of your Bible or you like to do that and you're like, wait, this looks very different, it's because there's a couple options there. But the key ideas are still the same. God is asking his people to come. No longer are you supposed to be gathered and scattered. I mean, scattered, you're supposed to be gathered now. And so come. And the interesting thing about this is, is first the call to the Jews. You see that, right? You see the dot, you know, escape design, you who dwell with the daughter of Babylon in verse seven. And in verse eight, for thus says the Lord of hosts, after his glory sent me to the nations who plundered you. So he's talking to the Jewish people. The Assyrians came in, the Babylonians came in. You've, you've been plundered. Now there's this reversal. All right. For the lust says the Lord of hosts, after his glory sent me to the nations who plundered you, for he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. Wow, what that must be like to hear that God thinks of you that highly. And as a Jewish person who has cared about the things of the Lord and you're living in exile and you hear this, say someone says this, the Lord considers you special, important, not to be touched, so important that you're like, another, another uh, translation puts it as just like the pupil of your eye, like you're just so important, like, you know how we protect our eyes all the time and it's so sensitive. Like that's what the Lord is saying. You matter that much. What happens to you happens to me. And then you see the reversal in nine. Behold, I will shake my hand over them and they shall become plunder for those who serve them. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. The great reversal. Life got turned upside down. Life totally transformed. Life has been different for 70 years and you're saying it's going to change. 
You're saying it's going to change. And just imagine the great reversal here. The oppressors who took everything from you, God's saying, I'm changing everything and you're getting it back, right? So that's amazing enough. And then you keep going. And this is where uh, in verse 10 to 11, this is where I think it gets really exciting for us in this room. Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I come and I come and I will dwell in your midst, declares the Lord. And many nations shall join themselves to the Lord in that day and shall be my people. And I will dwell in your midst and you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. So it's a twofold thing that we will know God has sent them and that God is real and that God has done something different. The Jews will come back and Gentiles will join. I don't know most of your guys' ethnic background. In fact, some of you might be wondering, what is my ethnic background? And very briefly, I'm a half-white, half-Puerto Rican kid who is very much uh, culturally white. Um, I jokingly call myself Anglo-Rican. Um, and because of not fitting in very well in and, and on some level in, in both cultures, like I very much have be, been a, an outsider learning Puerto Rican culture. And then um, in white uh, cultural spaces, I'm very fluent in it. It's just, I get asked questions. White kids never got asked, like, what are you? Um, and having this idea of there's a home for you is huge. Often us as Americans who have grown up here, this doesn't resonate so strongly with us. We have a good home. We really do. Like if you had to pick a time and a place to be born, most of the world would pick here and now. And we're so aware of what's wrong sometimes that we don't recognize our blessing, but honestly, our blessing sometimes makes this call, call feel very dull. Like, oh, okay, but I like my home. Why would I want to move? Why would I want to go and join myself with somebody else? But then you have to think of this reversal. I can guarantee in a room with this many people, your lives have not been easy. And I don't know what exactly has gone on, and I know there's quite a few young people and maybe you haven't hit that wall yet of life being hard. But eventually, at some point, should the Lord tarry and you get blessed with an average lifespan at best, you will see people you care about die. You will see people you care about go through financial struggle. You will see relationships end that you didn't want to see end. You will see people that you thought could get along, not get along, you will see your culture change in ways you didn't think was possible, and you will get moments of bewilderment and moments of feeling like something is wrong and I don't belong here. And I'm here to tell you, that's good. You don't belong here. The Lord is calling you to become his people. You are here because you are interested in knowing what it means to be part of God's people, you are here because God 
has called you and he wasn't content with just calling the Jews. He wanted you here now. Think about that. God cared enough about us that he sent his son because you see this. He's like, I will dwell in your midst. Look at what the Lord is doing here. He has fulfilled this and is still fulfilling this. Jesus came incarnate, dwelled in the midst of the Jewish people. The glory of God took on flesh and became fully God, fully man. Wow. And it didn't just stop there. It didn't just stop once he died and rose again. He gave us the Holy Spirit. He gave us his church. We are here now in the midst of the glory of God. I don't think we revel in it enough because I don't. I am grown up in church and it's just what you do sometimes, right? You just wake up and you go with the flow and you know it's a good thing and it does help you feel closer to God. That's good. Helps me become a better person. That seems great. And I actually like the people I'm at church with. Hopefully that's true for you too. Um, yeah, it feels good. It feels right. It feels normal. And it is on one level normal. That's a good thing if it does feel like normal. But maybe just maybe we need to like take a half a step back and just think about this. All of you people with all your individual stories, individual struggles, individual challenges, individual gifts and blessings have come and gathered because God is real and he wanted you to be a part of it. He wanted you to be a part of what he's doing in this world. He wanted you to be a part of his love for you and for this world. God wanted us and you here. And that's amazing because all of us have so many different stories on how we got here to this point at this time. And it's just mind-blowing if you think about all of the little details and interactions and and stops along the way to get us to this point, even right here listening to me talking. And you know what's extra cool? God's not done yet. This is not the pinnacle of what God is doing. Someday Jesus comes back in full glory and new heavens, new earth, new Jerusalem will happen and we will see God face to face. We will worship with other people, seeing God face to face. That is what Zechariah is talking about. Someday, this world, what is wrong, and there's a lot wrong. There's a lot wrong with me. There's a lot wrong with you. But there's also a lot wrong with this world. The world is simply not broken. I know we as Christians like to say broken a lot because there's some truth to it, right? The world is broken. Can you imagine telling someone in war-torn war places in this world that the world is broken? Yeah, Ukraine? Yeah, you're, that's just a really broken place right now, isn't it? Or North Nigeria. Yeah, that's just a really broken place right now, isn't it? Honduras, El Salvador, uh, Ethiopia. Brokenness doesn't begin to talk about the evil the sin, the destruction, our own tendencies to undo good things in our life. We need Jesus. 
We need the glory of God here to put things right. And he has started to do it with us. We are in the already, just like my friend's story of remembering not to bring his phone. Doesn't mean that everything's perfect yet, but God is with us now. But the better news is God is coming back and will fix it fully. So my question is for us, most of us in this room, this is probably true, but have you met him? Have you met this God who came to meet you in person, in flesh, and then sent us the Holy Spirit and brought us the gift of this church, the church universal, and this church in particular? Have you met that God? If not, today is a great day to meet him. But for most of you in this room, you have probably answered yes to that question. Great. Awesome. Did you notice in this passage, there's no walls? There's room. There's room for people who aren't here. I don't know if you've noticed, there's empty chairs here. There's room. There's room here. There's room in churches all across the city. Almost none of the churches I've ever visited, even the ones that are really, really really doing good by like outsider standards. They have empty seats. There is room and there is room for your neighbors, your family members, those people that you work with, the people you just walk by in the grocery store, the coffee shop. There is room for them to be here. So my question to us today, a challenge that I think Zachariah is giving us all is, do we really believe there's room or are we like looking for reasons to just not engage people, right? Like, oh, they probably don't want, we are so good at finding reasons to not talk about Jesus, right? Like it might be offensive. It might not be the right time. I don't want to be that guy or that gal because we all know who that guy and that gal is. The person that like just says things like with no uh, uh, emotional IQ, right? Like they just like bulldoze it through and they're like, okay, that was not helpful for anybody. None of us want to be that person. But I think we'd be surprised at how many people don't know who God is. I mean, really deeply, truly. And we also don't really believe God wants those people here more than we do. God cares about the lost more than you do. Whoever, and I want you to think about this very briefly. Imagine that one person you would love to see here with you on a Sunday. Like how much joy that would give you, how much excitement and, and belief that the Lord is doing something. Take a second, imagine that. God wants that person there a thousand times more than you do. God wants to see himself in relationship with that person a thousand times more than you do. And you know what's crazy? People are way more ready than you think. I, over the course of eight years, um, and this is probably why I'm the pastoral resident of evangelism, I have probably brought 40-something people to res. Most of them haven't stuck around. That's not the point. People have asked me because they see people come with me all the time, like, how do you get people to come? And I say, it's really Simple. I ask them. And I know that sounds nuts, but like most people are interested on some level. Second thing, 
you'd be surprised at how many people don't have a preconceived notion of who Jesus is. I was chatting with some one of my coworkers one time. I was needing to leave early from work because I was part of the uh, Christmas pageant this year. I was a wise man. I don't know if you have any idea why I would be cast as a wise man. Um, and she's like, oh, a wise man? What does that mean? I'm like, oh, do you know the Christmas story at all? She's like, no. No. And I'm just like, wait. I wasn't ready for that. Like, I really wasn't ready for that. So I told the Christmas story about, like, how, like, wise men came to meet this baby that they believed was God and angels and shepherds. I got to tell the whole thing in, like, five minutes, right? But I was just shocked. I remember talking to my wife after that. I'm like, I couldn't believe she didn't know. And she was interested. It wasn't like, oh, don't tell me about that. I don't care. She wanted to know the story. I can think about, uh, I helped restart Alpha at Res uh, recently. And in the fall, we had uh, someone bring his sister who had grown up in the church and just was having some issues. She decided to come. She was so transformed by that experience. She brought, for this winter, she brought her boyfriend and she brought another friend. People want to meet the Lord. Some just don't know it yet. Some don't have a clue yet. So how do we do this? I, I just have a few suggestions for us, for our neighbors in our city. And then I'm going to zoom out even more, okay? For the neighbors, just start by praying, Lord, who do you want me to talk to? You'd be surprised that once you start that openness towards those types of conversations, how they'll just pop up. It is really weird. I was one time in the waiting room of a sheriff's office helping another friend do something, and a guy just came up to me and started spilling his guts. Just spilling his guts, which people don't do in sheriff's offices, by the way, because it's just not really designed for that. And I was just like, okay, Lord, what's going on? So after that, I prayed. I asked him if he had a Bible. He didn't. I took him to my house, gave him a Bible, and said, I'll see you at church on Sunday. And he came for like a month. Why? I don't know why. Just that God was interested in him and I was available to not freak out when that happened. And I think for most of us, God would be willing to do a lot of cool stuff with us if we just wouldn't freak out about it. And you can just not freak out about it if you can think of, can you just tell how God's worked in your life in a minute or two? Something as simple as that can start a conversation. And also, invite someone here on a Sunday. It's not as scary as you think. If people aren't ready, they'll say no. If they are interested, they'll say yes. And if they say no initially, they might come back someday and say, hey, I'm interested now. I've heard so many stories like that. Another simple way is just serving in your community. You all work. You all go to school. You all have neighbors. Do you know your neighbor? Do you know their names? That would help. Start there. Always baby step. Um, also, just look for the people that are hurting. You can just ask, can I pray for you? You'd be surprised how many people will say yes to that. Almost everyone. I think in my almost 40 years of life, I've only had one person ever say no. Just pray for somebody. And then my next question is, what about the places where it's not obvious that the Lord is dwelling here now, where the church isn't visible? This is what I will 
say it's a it's a it's a way to encourage us and it's a way to challenge us all right the way to encourage us not everyone in here is meant to do cross cultural missions at least in the leaving your house living in a new place so before you even start with the like self defense mechanisms and like that's not for me i understand hear me out anyway also Considering the wide swath of people in this room, there might even be some people in here that's like cross-cultural missions. Is that even a good thing? Like, isn't there a lot of baggage of colonialism and all this other stuff? I'm going to say two things really briefly, and this is like a whole class in seminary worth of stuff uh, that we could dive into. But short version is yes and no. Yes, there are some evils that have come with missions. Two, there are so much good that has come from missions. And I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for missions work. How do I know this? Because I have a diaspora of people all in my background. And some of them come from places that the church used to be and wasn't anymore. And I don't know if you know about this, but if you have like Western European ancestry, you guys were the heathens for like the first 500 to 600 years of the history of the church. Like Africa and Asia was like all about the Jesus thing. And it was you barbarians up north that just didn't get it. So missions matters. Serving people matters. And as a Christian, it's not optional. And this is what I mean by this. We all need to be partnering with the proclamation of the gospel. And we have been blessed as Americans to have education, resources, and the ability to be accepted in most places in the world pretty easily, at least in the sense of entering in, in some form or fashion. All those gifts come with responsibilities. So some of us here, regardless of what stage of life you're in, I would just challenge you to at least open yourself up to the idea, maybe even just getting a passport. Maybe you don't have one. Maybe that should be your next step of being open to partnering with what the Lord's doing in the world. But also, being part of this gathering is partnering with the proclamation of the gospel. So before you feel any sort of shame that is not from the Lord or conviction that's not from the Lord, I just want to challenge you and commend you. You gathering here is partnering with the proclamation of the gospel. You tithing and giving your offerings and serving this congregation partners with the proclamation of the gospel. You guys know, uh, you've launched a few missionaries here. One of them, Allison and I know, uh, she goes by her missions code name is Raina. And if you know who I'm talking about, you know the real name, but I'm not going to share it out loud here. But she's somewhere where it's really hard to be a Christian. It's really poor. It, the country, while she was uh, going there, had a coup. I mean, talk about an entryway, you know, like, diving in on the deep end but one of the updates she shared which was really cool she was in a remote village and they were sharing stories and the tribal chief of the of the city she was in wanted to know what story she had to share so she shared the story of the two sons the one that stayed and the one that ran away and spent his money frivolously and came back and the dad accepted him anyway 
he had never heard the story. No one in the village had heard that story before. She got to share the gospel simply because she was willing to be somewhere else for a while. And most of us, when we share the gospel, it's in that type of context. It is, I am in your house. We are sharing life together. And God has given me an opportunity to share with you. So I don't know where you're at in this room. Maybe you don't really know the Lord, or maybe you've been away from him and estranged from him for too long. Today, you can know him. Today, you can come back. You can revel in the glory of the Lord and let the Lord protect you. But for many, uh, most of us in this room, I have a feeling you're in this other camp where you are part of God's people. You take joy in the things of Jesus. You know, there's room, right? There's room in here physically. There is room in new heavens, new earth. God wants others here. May we have his heart. Amen.